So I'm going to be uh, talking about, I don't know if you can see what this is. It's a five rand coin. It's got a head and a tail. Uh, I was looking at the one rand coin. It's, um, it's got flowers and flags. I've never seen that before. Have you guys seen the one rand coin of flowers? I don't know what they, if the guys are getting confused. But in my mind, every, every coin, every authentic coin has got a head and a tail. You know, even what we did tonight seemed to have a head and a tail, uh, opposite sides. It was, it was what God was doing and then our response. Now, you, 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 life is like that. And I want to look at the book of Ephesians with you. I'm not a great teacher, so I'm not going to try and teach it. But I do want to anchor what I say in the scriptures so that you've got something to go back to. All right. And I want to show you that there's a two sided coin in the book of Ephesians two sides to that book and it's essential that we have both sides for us to become to be to grow up to mature to walk in everything that is pleasing to our father you would need to have both sides of seemingly opposite perspectives. You ready? So the book of Ephesians. But I don't want to start at the beginning. I want to start in chapter 4. So if you're going to go there for me. The book of Ephesians, chapter 4. The fans are making it hard for me to read yet, but I'm just going to navigate. I think the fans are better to have than a... No, no, let's keep it on. eh? It's nice to have a little bit of wind from behind but uh, so looking at chapter 4 now this is the one side of the coin I'd love it if you read with me so you can just see that I'm reading the Bible looking at verse 1 I therefore, this is Paul speaking and actually the Holy Spirit speaking a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling And uh, very interesting, very interesting how it's only in chapter 4 that the Lord speaks anything about what you must do. So chapter 1, 2, 3, he's quiet. It takes 1,340 verses for the Lord himself to get to a place where he begins to address what you must do. Isn't that interesting? That's interesting for me. I just recently wrote a, a very thought through card to my wife for her birthday. And I counted the words. 150 words. <laughs> I don't know, that's probably not a very pertinent point to the whole message. But 1,340 words. Nothing about what you must do and I must do. That's pretty radical. And um, it's interesting when you see this, when you actually study it and and actually observe uh, what he's doing. And so today I want to look at the two-sided coin of authentic Christianity. This is what I'm looking at. The two-sided coin of authentic Christianity set out in the book of Ephesians. So to get straight into it, If you don't mind, I'm going to read a number of verses 
from the latter part of the book. So it might be a little bit difficult for you to follow. It's only about 10 verses. Can you hold with me? And we can actually do this. Okay, so the first one is I've already read. To walk worthy of your calling. That's Ephesians 4 verse 1. Verse 16. Every part doing its share or working properly. Verse 17. Walk no longer as the Gentiles who practice every kind of impurity. Verse 22, also chapter 4. Putting off your old selves. Verse 24, putting on the new self. It's interesting that he speaks about walking worthy in the manner of your calling. So walking in a manner that's worthy of your calling. Then walking no longer as those who don't know Christ. So Paul's laboring this thing of how we walk. And then putting off your old self. And putting on the new self. Maybe I can just do a little mini teaching here. But it's very important that you realize that repentance is not just confessing your sin and turning from your sin. But it's actually turning to God and receiving from Him and putting on the new self, which is actually Christ in His Christ around us. Repentance is much more than just what you don't do. Repentance is turning to Christ and receiving, but moving on. Let's look at chapter 5. Walking in love, even as Christ loved. Verse 8. Walking as children of light. And a little bit later it says exposing darkness. Verse 15. Walk as the wise. Also chapter 5. Full of the Holy Spirit. And the fruit of this is song and thankfulness. When you're full of the Spirit of God, there'll be a song in your heart. Sometimes I ask the Lord, especially when I'm dry, I said, Lord, is there a song that I can sing to you that's really going to be, it's going to minister to you? Would you help me? Isn't that amazing that you can actually ask God to help you to worship Him? You know what I've realized is it does take God Himself to love God. It takes God Himself to follow God. And I found that, that, that even to worship God, I'll say, Holy Spirit, help me have a song that comes from my heart that'll be something to you. And so being full of the Holy Spirit will often be the, the song of the Lord in our heart. And then it, says about, it speaks about being thankful. Thankfulness is a great part of being full of the Spirit of God. I'd love to teach you that, but not tonight. Uh, almost landing on this part. Verse 21, out of reverence for Christ, submitting to one another. And then chapter 6, verse 10, finally standing in Christ. So what I've done is I've shown you what this part of the book emphasizes. Walking in a manner that's worthy of a calling, obeying Him, putting off the old self, putting on the new self, um, walking in love, being in the light, submitting to one another, all the things that we know. Now, it's very common for us because chapter 4 is very, what can I describe it as? It's, it's very practical. It's relevant. It's very easy for us to start there. You know, you're looking for something to share with your community. Where do you start? Something that's practical and relevant. So what can we do? And uh, it's actually a common error. Do you know there's an error 
to begin with, what can I do when it comes to faith in God? I'm not sure if you guys are fully convinced about this. It's only one side of the coin. Now, I'm not saying it's sinful. It's not sinful to, to open up the book of Ephesians and start sharing out of Ephesians 4. But if you've never seen the other side of the coin, it's very imbalanced. It's, it's, um, it's potentially not healthy. So I'm wondering, what is Ephesians 1 to 3 all about? Can we go look there together? Okay, so just one more round of looking at the scriptures. You ready? Let's go. Ephesians 1. Looking at chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father. And this is a revolutionary statement. The Jews at that time did not relate to God as a father. For, for, for the Holy Spirit to begin to reveal God as Father. This is incredible. So this is a, 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 a piercing light coming through. Revealing God as a Father. And Ephesians 1.17, if I can jump there, I just want to labor this point a bit. It speaks about the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. Paul was captured Captured by this. Who has blessed us. Interesting, I saw Jock kneeling at the prayer time, kneeling right down, and his daughter had come. And he spoke to his daughter, and I could see just his posture. He came right down to where she was, and he spoke to her. Do you know that if you look at the original Hebrew, when it speaks about blessing? And how the culture of blessing, the father would always bend down on a knee and come low to bless. And it says, it says that, blessed be the God and Father, this is verse 3, who has blessed us. So it begins with, the, 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 the story begins with us being blessed by him. Imagine seeing a picture of the father coming near to us in Christ. And kneeling, and the word blessing speaks of speaking words of affirmation and encouragement and favor. Imagine that picture that God wants to fill us with of what is like. I'll read it again to you. Let's go there. Just, just picture it. So Ephesians 1, verse 3. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. Beautiful picture. This is how it starts. This is how the journey starts. Are you still with me or are you just you're pondering? You're ready to receive some more? Okay, it says, blessed us, verse 4, He chooses us. Verse, the latter part of verse 4, He loves us. It says, in love. Verse 5, he receives us as his own, his own children. Verse 7, I love verse 7. 
I'm going to read it, the whole verse to you. It says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. Not carefully apportioned. Not just enough. Riches. Riches means much. The riches of His grace. Listen to these words. Now, this, Paul wrote this, but the Spirit of God wrote this. Which He lavished on us. Lavished. That's like pouring out. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ. Did I speak about the forgiveness of our trespasses? Yes, I did. So, in Him we have the redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, and then clarifying, which is the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished. Very important for us to see this. And what am I saying to you? Well, I'm saying to you there's a pattern here. Is Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 is what we do. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 is all what God does. Everything we've read now is His work. He does the loving. He does the choosing. He does the receiving. I think this is good news. He does the forgiving. And you know what? When God does something, He does it very well. Very, very well. Coming in for a landing on this. A little bit longer. Ephesians 2 says, but because of his great love for us, again, this is his work. He does this. Because of his great love for you. I had a, a, a man who really influenced me deeply in my younger years. I was invited to go to the States. Not the orange free States, the real States. And he was uh, at the Mississippi River, big river in the, I'm not sure what, what state in the U.S. that is, but uh, he described this huge expanse of water moving. And he found a place where he could go right to the river and put his hand in the river. And he says, as he, did it, he, as he did this, he wasn't expecting it, but he put his hand in this river and he was looking at the expanse of the water. And he said, God spoke to him. And he said, this is what my love looks like for you. And just as he did this, there was a realization of the magnitude of the love of the Father for him. As this water, this massive water, was just flowing past his hand. And he said something happened to him. It's like what he knew, what he knew was true somehow began to permeate who he was. You see, he knew the Father loved him. And it radically changed his life. A little bit longer. Verse 5. More of the work of God. And you were dead. That's speaking of you and me before we became to Christ. Maybe I can read that. Ephesians 2 verse 5. Let's read that together. And you were dead... 
Sorry, it's Ephesians 2 verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, here it goes, you ready? Made us alive with Christ. Wow. So when you said, Lord, yes, you said, Lord, I'm not sure how this works, but I want to turn from my sin. I want to, I want to come to you. The Bible says it was invisible work. God made you alive with Christ. 1 Corinthians 30 says, it is because of Him, it's not on the board, it is because of Him that you're in Christ. Somehow the work of God puts you into the death of Christ and into the resurrection of Christ. Is this like, um, it's, it's almost like winning the spiritual lottery. <laughs> this is like, this is really good news. I'm going to enjoy it as much as I can, okay? Let's go one more verse. Um, and verse 6, and raised us up. This is now. This is not when you die one day and go to heaven. And raised us up. And seated us with him. Man, oh man. Yes, you know, some of us worship God not knowing these things tonight. And to sort of know that God is near when we sense Him. But some of us worship God from being seated in Christ, being made alive, not by our faith, by the work of God. And we were included into the death of Christ. We were included in His resurrection. And we brought near by the blood of Christ. And now we're saying, Lord, I worship You. The truth is that all of us have this inheritance. It's His work. But to live from it. To know this is life-changing. I said, I said a little bit longer, and I mean that. Carrying on in the same paragraph. So he raised us up with him, and he seated us with him. You know, some of us want to really run hard for God. And it's good to run hard for God. And we are called to run hard for God. But if you don't know what it is to be seated, you'll only run a short distance. There's something about being seated deep in your soul. It makes you run differently. It says in verse 7, so that in the coming ages, again, the work of God, and includes right now, he might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So part of the work of God right now is to show the riches, no, not just the riches, the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ. It's like a big movie. 
It's, it's part of his... It's a part of who he is. And then verse 10... For we are his workmanship. Now I always thought when I read that, I mean, it always to me was, God has worked in my life, all right, and he's changed me, and now I'm his workmanship. But the longer I've been in the faith, I've realized when he says we are his workmanship, it's what he has done all by himself in saving us including us into Christ, freeing us from the, the tyranny of sin, the horror of sin. I'm not going to explain that. Uh, including us into the death of Christ, including us into the resurrection of Christ, seating us with Christ, that he might show the incomparable riches of his grace with his workmanship. This is his work. We display that. And yes, when God works in your life and you change, it's also part of his workmanship. But workmanship is deeper than what I thought, and hopefully you also see it differently tonight. And then it says, landing on this verse, for we were are his workmanship created in Christ, all right? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you know that you cannot do anything of worthwhileness for God unless God prepares that work for you to do? Is that good news or bad news? You guys are not sure. Who thinks it's good news? <laughs> eh? So even what you're going to do for God has been prepared in advance for you. Man, oh man. And my discovery of this is I naturally started off in Ephesians 4. My natural inclination was I'm saved now. God, what do you want me to do? Ephesians 4. Live a life worthy of a calling. Yes! There I go. And it wasn't long and the burn that was inside of me began to fade. You know what I discovered? Is I discovered after refined my first love in chapter one, two, and three, but it expressed it in chapter four. If I kept on looking for my first love and what we do and who we are as and what we're doing as a church, I ran dry. But I defined and receive and be baptized in. And so my repentance was ongoingly this. And it's interesting, uh, Charles Spurgeon said we never outgrow repentance. And I maybe touched on it a little bit. But I found that instead of my understanding of repentance being only turning from sin, I learned that I needed to live in chapter 1, 2, and 3 and, and receive there and, and turn to God and ponder until those relational realities were in me. And from that place, I was able to obey. From that place I was able to sacrifice. From that place I was able to walk out this walk. But uh, if Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 is a foundation, it's different to the foundation holding up this building. 
Now, right, right now, you may be not aware of it, but the foundations are working really hard to hold up those walls. And those walls are holding up the roof. You get me? Spiritual foundations are different to that. I'll explain to you why. Because a relational spiritual foundation is living. And you don't lay it once and leave it. It's laid by the master builders, apostles and prophets. But we keep on returning to them. Why? Because our foundation's a person. You never outgrow foundations. You keep on returning to see what God sees. And so what is Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 about? It's all about who God is and His work. What is Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 about? Our response and our work. Two sides of one coin. And it takes both sides for us to become who God wants us to become. I've seen people who minimize or assume. I must be careful how I say this. But if you don't embrace both sides of the coin, it's not authentic Christianity. Let me, let me speak the other way. If you, and very few people do this, but if you get stuck in chapter 1, 2, 3, and you tell people, I've arrived. Man, I'm seated in Christ. God's forgiven me my sins. I, I'm full in Jesus. And you avoid going to chapter 4. No authenticity. No realness. Even though you're raised in Christ, there's still a need for you to put off the old self and keep on repenting and keep on changing and keep on being transformed by others. You see it? Some people get stuck. But a lot of us get stuck in 4, 5, and 6. And it does take both. I, I'm preaching a little higher grade today, but I'm yet for the church. I mean, I've, in some ways, I'd love to, I'm torn to like sort of swing this thing to simple gospel just to reach some people. But I want to educate you. I want to empower you. I want to I lay a foundation. I'll tell you what happened to me on the grass when we were praying. Now, don't be dramatic, but I want to be honest with you. Um, I was 20, 21 or 23 years old, I forget. I went up to KwaZulu Natal, where there was that revival that took place with the Zulus. I was a proper space cadet when I was young. Uh, I was, you know, Conrad was a burner. You know, if you knew Conrad when he was young, you'd be afraid of him. He was like, fire was coming out. <laughs> his, I think his hair is orange because of the fire of God. I, I don't know if it actually was orange before. Uh, but we were both red, red hot. I mean, I was so passionate for God that people thought, yeah, bro, stay away from him. There's something wrong. I mean, so I was one of those guys. And so I went up to KwaZulu-Natal. So I heard about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit there. And now I'm fasting and praying. I'll try and say it as honestly as I can before the Lord to you. And it was one of those fasts where God wasn't talking. <laughs> that painful. Huh? You know when you sacrifice 
and, uh, <laughs> and you don't know much about Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. <laughs> so you, I'm like fasting, I'm pushing, I'm saying, God, where are you? And God's this quiet. And uh, he waited for me to get to an end of myself. And sometimes God does that. He will, he will teach you his ways. Um, and he didn't mind that design inside of me. It didn't offend him. But he wanted me to learn his ways, not my ways. He wanted me to find him based on what he was doing, not my zeal and my sacrifice. Some of you need to hear that. Some of you need to hear that. Sacrifice is good. Only good if it's by the Spirit. I've known people that have sold their homes, sold everything they own, went somewhere as missionaries and lost their entire families. I'll tell you what it was. It was a religious spirit. And you'll find that some people will sacrifice thinking it'll get, they'll gain something in God, but actually a sacrifice that's done outside of the Holy Spirit will move you away from the Lord, not towards Him. Try to hear what I'm saying. But God was kind to me because He knew my heart. All right? So here I am. I'm pushing. Corinne, is that okay? I'm going to lose some people there or are they going to hold it? You sure? Okay. And so I'm, I'm, I'm out in KwaZulu-Natal and I'm pushing hard and, and, and God's hiding His face from me. I'm seven days into the fast, eight days, nine days, and I'm going like... It's like a feeling of where you come to the end of yourself. It's like you, you, you go into the... The prayer, I really didn't, I didn't know, honestly, I'd, Lord, would you cover me as I tell the story? And I remember coming to an end of my strength. It's a very vulnerable thing to do that. It's a, you've put all of your eggs in one basket, and you have no control of the outcome. And I was desperate for God. I had... I had said no to a university degree. I would dress in khaki pants and white shirts because I didn't want to be fashionable at all. I, I mean, I, was, I did everything I could do to walk out this road. I'm not saying you should do that. But it was my understanding, without good men around me and good understanding of one, two, three Ephesians, of how I'm going to do this thing. And I was desperate. And the Lord kept his hand from me. And when I came to an end of myself, he began to speak to me. And he began to nurture my soul. And I knew that I could do nothing unless the Lord was, the Lord was taking me. And the Lord was initiating with me. And I could do no work for God unless God worked in me first. I could do nothing to glorify his name unless I saw the glory of who he is and captured by him. But he said this to me. And he reminded me when I was in the grass early on. He said to me, when you're an old man one day, the generation that's alive, you'll be one of their fathers. And they will see the greatest move of the Holy Spirit in the history of man. Out of nowhere. And I think I saw a glimpse of it this afternoon. That you've been privileged to be alive in this day. And you were... You were predestined to be born. And I'm not saying that I'm old, old now. You might, be, you might be one generation above the generation if what the Lord spoke to me is true. 
but I believe we're coming into incredibly important times. What the world looked like five years ago has changed dramatically. Can you see that? And it's well possible that you will see one of the greatest moves of the Holy Spirit in the earth, in the history of man. That formed my thinking. To think that God's seeing so far down the road. In preparing and coming here, I was drawn to that 1860 outpouring of the Spirit of God in Wellington and Worcester with Andrew Murray. You know what gripped me? Is that the same Spirit of God is present to us right now. Do you know that by the Spirit, because He's eternal, we are present to that outpouring right now. If the eternal Spirit is in us, we're actually present to that time. And they're present to our time. Do you know that what, what God was doing then, he understood what he was going to do now. If you didn't get that, it's okay. I'm just playing with, trying to just let you see some things. And, and I'm, I was very aware coming here that you've been entrusted with the baton. That, that God knew he would continue his work through you. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> So many of you will do things that have been prepared for you. 